Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 65 of the No Look Past podcast presented by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, who would like to thank the Pacers for making me one for one of my playoff predictions. Thank you for getting swept. My, I have my co-host with me, Andy Flintflin. What was good? Yo, Paul George right now is on a plane to be fishing off the coast of L.A., so he can get a nice, good view of his new potential home. <laughs> yeah, Jeannie Buss might just meet him there like, oh, fancy seeing you here. What are the odds? You know, what's, what's, what's going on, Paul? Oh, I, I see that you're, uh, you know, you're not in the playoffs anymore? Oh, what a coincidence. Uh, but, yeah, Paul George, shout out to you. Uh, I hope you didn't throw your teammates under the bus too much after, you, after your loss, even though you should have. Uh, but not really, considering you said you needed the last shot, and then you got the last shot and you bricked it. Uh, anyways, we are going to get into what everybody is looking for. Uh, first round of the playoffs. We're going to talk pretty much all of the series. You know, we might skip some if, if they're uninteresting, but we're going to get into that as well. That there really, to, in my opinion, there hasn't really been an uninteresting series thus far. Um, Andy, just real quick, I want you to rank the first round from one to ten so far, like your impressions and, and just sort of how you've been feeling about the first round so far. I mean, I, I think I'm. I'm a little above average. I mean, I know sometimes we get some real stinkers in the first round. Um, obviously, the Cleveland-Indiana one, I, I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what happened there. But I was kind of – I think I had it in six. I was hoping for the Pacers to have a couple of Pacers games. Maybe I, had, I think I had it in five, actually. I, I, I predicted one Paul George game. But overall, I've been satisfied. Um, the Houston OKC series was probably going to be my favorite going in, and it hasn't necessarily disappointed. I mean, all the games have been there, but OKC just not able to really, you know, do the things they need to do. But overall, yeah, I'm going to say like a seven or an eight. I'm pretty, I've been pretty impressed. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I was actually going to say seven and a half, so seven or eight. That that's that's pretty much right Damn. there. Even in even in that Cleveland sweep, I mean, it did have some entertaining moments. Obviously, game one. Indiana misses the shot, you know, to, to, they could have won up one all on the road. They definitely played a close game one. And then game three, obviously, you had the huge comeback from Cleveland. So even that in, in being a sweep had moments where, you're, where you're, you're not like, oh, this is like a worthless series. I don't even want to turn it on. You know, it definitely did have some interesting moments that, that made you even want to watch it for a sweep. Um, what is the most surprising result to you thus far, though? Because there's been a couple, obviously. Um, I think we're, we might have the same answer here about the game uh, coming up as, as we're talking. Um, but there's been a couple of interesting results. I mean, the Bucks are are up on the road. Now it's 2-2. But, but what do you think? I, I mean, I honestly think the, the most surprising one is, is obviously is Boston and, and Chicago. Right. I know there's a bunch of you smartasses out there on Twitter who are like, I told you so, I told you so. And, you know, I know there's reasons they – picked Chicago and people were picking Chicago. We talked about this a little bit last time. But, you know, to go down, you know, you're down two games at home and then you go on the road and then Chicago, you know, loses the game. And obviously the Rondo thing is the biggest factor I see there. But it's a little surprising, especially to see the one seed drop their two home games to the eight seed and then turn around and the eight seed gives up their first game at home. It's a little weird. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. For most people, we really thought the Chicago Bulls were just going to But they right. are who we thought they were! But they weren't. They, they're, they're not who we thought they were. All of a sudden, they're like this team now that, that has some momentum. 
Uh, Dwayne Wade, you're not slick, bro. I, I saw earlier when there was like five games left, eight games left in the season, like all of a sudden you were out for the season. And then, uh, and then as the Chicago Bulls got back into the playoff picture, all of a sudden, like you're magically healed. It's a veteran move. I respect it, but don't think I don't see you. You're not slick. Uh, we all know what you did. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, like we said when we were discussing the series, I think we both thought that the Bulls had, you know, a chance if, if the Celtics kind of took them lightly or if, you know, something went wrong, an injury, whatever. Like, we really thought that the Bulls could capitalize on a non-A-plus Celtics team. That being said, it's a whole different story than beating them games one and two on the road. That pretty much never happens. I mean, for any underdog, like really, even if it's like a six versus three or a, I mean, some, you might see it in the five versus four matchup. I would think I really don't have the statistics in front of me, but a one versus eight, it's almost impossible. I don't, I, I would say that you've probably never seen that in a seven game series where the eight seed goes on the road and beats the one seed to go up two Oh, um, I, I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty comfortable on those grounds. And you really have the Celtics in a level of desperation, even in game three where Gerald green is now starting for crying out loud. Like, I, I think they said it was his first start in a playoff game since like 2011. So, what do you? So let's let's get into it even more thoroughly because I I had a feeling this was going to be our answer. Do you think the Celtics are in trouble? I mean, Game Four is is going to be starting here in a few minutes, probably while we're all, while we're on the air. Game Game Four is going to be going on. Uh, do you think it, it's trouble time in Boston? I actually kind of think that it's going to be. I I kind of have this sneaky suspicion that Boston's going to tie the series in Chicago, and the biggest factor for me is is Rondo being out. And I really would have answered this question differently, but I, I don't think they're in trouble anymore. And I know we spoke a little bit about how Jimmy Butler being the best player in the series. And I do agree with that. And then you have Wade who has, you know, just this insurmountable uh, playoff uh, experience, but losing Rondo hurts. I mean, if you just look at the assist to turnover ratio with and without Rondo, it's like eye popping. Rondo was on a mission. I think, you know, he loved the fact that the Boston fans were booing him. He, you know, he spoke on that, um, tried to trip Jay Crowder in game three, which was cool. He's still making his presence felt. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of am leaning away from that. I mean, I thought they were in a heap of trouble after two games, obviously. But now it's like I don't know what this team can do without Rondo because Rondo was the conductor of that train. And they still have Wade and they still have Butler, who, you know, probably say that both of those players are better than Rondo. But I just don't know how the ship maneuvers now without its captain. And I, I kind of think that – I do. I think Celtics are going to win today, and then I think they're just going to get this series back. Yeah, that Rondo thing, is, it's sort of like the flopping rule, right? Like back when they were actually enforcing the flopping thing, that was like a one-season thing. They're like, nobody can flop. And they were finding people like five grand. Like if you're going to like get a game-changing foul in the playoffs and then you get fined five grand after, it's totally worth it, right? Like it's not even, it's not even a debate. You're, you're definitely shelling out that five grand. Like let's just say Rondo tripped Jay Crowder on the game-winning shot and all of a sudden Jay Crowder misses it, the referee misses the call. Like his teammates are paying that $35,000 fine. Nobody really cares. You know, so shout out to Rondo. I'm still trying to get in there, even though people probably think it's a dirty play because it is. Uh, but I agree with you. Um, I think the point, something that you didn't bring up, which I think you were you're sort of getting to, is even though Rondo is not the best player on the team, really his the replacement value of the guys behind him is just nowhere near any any significance. I mean, obviously, if Jimmy Butler went out, they'd be in huge trouble. But even, if, like, let's just say Dwayne Wade was out. They have guys that can hit shots that pretty much might even be better than Wade 
and the offense in a long-term period spacing the floor, things like that. I mean, you can't replace Dwayne Wade's intangibles, but even a guy like Paul Zipser really is a good three-point shooter. Denzel Valentine is a guy that they don't play a lot that might be able to, you know, chew up some of Dwayne Wade's minutes theoretically if he was out. And then obviously with the big guys, same thing. Like, you know, the Bulls have a lot of depth in the in the back in the front court. You know, guys like Felicio, Portis. You know, all these guys are interchangeable if a guy like Robin Lopez went out. But with Rondo out, I mean, MCW, who we know is not, I am uh, definitely not the conductor of the MCW uh, bandwagon. I'm probably the conductor of whatever the opposite of a bandwagon is. Uh, you know, just not good. N- not, not good minutes for MCW at all. Uh, Grant, I thought, would be better. I'm shocked. I would be shocked if Cameron Payne doesn't at least get a look in game four to see what he can do just because those guys were brutal in game three. And there's no way that they're going to win this series with, with their kind of production on the court. And that's the thing is there's some guys you can look at when you talk about, I know you don't love MCW and I don't think anybody loves him at this point. Used to be my boy for about half a second. And you have Grant and you talk about pain and these are all names who on paper, it sounds like, oh, well, maybe these guys can step in. But it's like the value of Rondo. And actually, I would say the same thing about Robin Lopez. You were talking about Robin Lopez missing time. I don't know how they would do without him. It's, a, it's not, you know, necessarily the things that show up in the box score, although Rondo's box score was looking pretty good. It's, it's just these things because we know that they're going to rely on Jimmy Butler. And we know there's going to be big moments where they're just going to say, hey, D-Wade, here's the ball, go get it. But I think Lopez and Rondo, to me, just did so many other things. They're, they're pros. They, you know, they've, they've been around a while. They know how to play the game. They're very good at doing the things that are cliche to them. And so right. I think it kind of just all unravels now. And, you know, one of the things is obviously the defense from Rondo. They don't have another guy at the point guard position who can play the kind of defense that, that Rondo did. And it's just the, the cool, calm collectiveness of Rondo. You know, I've been here a hundred thousand times. It doesn't matter if you benched me midway through the season and it looked like it wasn't going to work playoff time. I mean, Rondo time, Rondo doing things to the Celtics that he did to the bulls when he played for the Celtics back in 2009. Right. And I just, I, I, this is the injury I hate the most in the playoffs right now, honestly. Like, I love Rudy Gobert. Really? I love Blake Griffin. But, like, I, yeah, I hate it because I feel like the Bulls were going to win this series. And now I, I just I, – I'm, like, hopeless for them. I, I just – I feel bad. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, I, and something that I'm really ashamed of myself for not even thinking about was the Rajon Rondo revenge series because I'm totally always on the bandwagon for those kind of things like guys playing their former teams. I usually put way too much weight into it on the opposite way, and I didn't even consider a Rajon Rondo revenge series when I was thinking about, the, you know, the my prediction for the series. Um, I'm going to disagree with you. I, I, I sort of hate the Rudy Gobert injury more just because I feel like the Jazz were on the cusp. And also, I'm really rooting for the Clippers to just blow it up, and I think they're going to win this series, and it's going to convince them that without Blake Griffin, if they're going to lose in the second round, that somehow they're they're still like in it or some or some reason, and they're just going to keep trotting out this team that can't win. Um, and I'm really just not a fan of that. So that's why the Rudy Gobert injury, for multiple reasons, I think is more significant to me than the Rajon Rondo injury. But but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, game four just started here as we're recording. So we'll, we'll see what happens as uh, Joe Green bricks a three. Uh, no, no surprise there. So next, we're going to move on. Uh, the MVP thus far, who do you think it is? I mean, I think LeBron James is the obvious answer, but I'm curious if you think it's somebody else. I mean, I feel like you kind of want me to give you a different answer. So <laughs> while I while I do believe – 
it is LeBron James. Um, kind of other than LeBron James, I, I kind of think John Wall. I think the things that John Wall right. has been doing, um, just just the way that he plays. And the thing I like about John Wall is that when he's giving it to you, you know he's giving it to you. And if you don't, he's going to run back down the other end of the court and let you know. Like, he's very vocal. He's one of those types of guys. Um, you know, and I think his team is energized off of this. And all of a sudden it seems like, I mean, not just in the playoffs, but he and Bradley Beal seem, we talked about how they seem like they played against each other a lot of nights. And it seems like they're like clicking on all cylinders. And I just, I mean, obviously Atlanta gave them the business um, in game three, but I do, I feel like John Wall has been incredible. And he was incredible in that game too. It was just the rest of the team. Yeah, so let's let's use that to sort of talk more about that series I watched in Atlanta series because I sort of had the same exact answer. It's LeBron James, but I think if you just say besides LeBron James, I think that might be the way to ask the question because I think everybody will say LeBron. Um, I think John Wall is the answer. I mean, even in that game three, like you said, the, the Hawks sort of killed them. Um, but John Wall had an incredible game three too, so it wasn't any of his fault. It was sort of everybody else wasn't really going along for the ride. Um, my question for you is, I know before the, the series started, this was sort of our series, it, definitely for me, because I think I mentioned John Wall was the only reason why I wanted to watch this series. Um, but I, I found myself watching more of the series because more than the other series, there's been a lot of, like, chatter between the teams. You know, Paul Millsap being called a crybaby, Dennis Schroeder and John Wall getting into it. And it sort of has given that series a little bit of an edge and a little more entertainment value than I would have thought just from the pure – on-the-court basketball, which hasn't been that bad either by any means. Um, so I guess my question for you is how much have you watched the series, and is it more than you thought or more entertaining than you thought going in? Uh, I've caught all three games. I remember, you know, thinking I was on the opposite end that, uh, that you were with this series. I liked the potential for this series. I wasn't even sure why, um, <clears throat> but I did. Maybe something to do with the fact that it's a four and a five seed. But, you know, another thing that was interesting going into this series is I didn't even factor in the fact that it was, like, ex-teammates, you know, um, you got Polish Hammer and Dwight Howard playing against each other. And, obviously, mm. Gortat used to be Howard's backup in Orlando, and he got some good time there. He was there when they were in the playoffs and stuff like that. Um, so that's really where, where Gortat broke out was in Orlando behind Howard. So, I, I, you know, I'd never even really thought about that rolling into this series, much like we didn't talk about Rondo playing against his former team. And that's been a pretty good battle. Like, there's nights where Gortat's just outworking Howard, and then I've seen Howard just outworking Gortat, and it's been a thing. The Millsap and Markeith Morris thing. Markeith is officially the better Morris again, not only because he's <laughs> balling a bit, but he talks trash. And to me, like, to talk trash to Paul Millsap, like, Paul Millsap's one of those guys I didn't really think people talk trash to or about. But, like, some of right. it's warranted because I have been watching Millsap's. Millsap's body language sucks when he's not playing well. Like, Markeith was simply outplaying him in the first couple of games, and, like, Millsap kind of was acting like a baby. Now, I think he answered the question right after game three, but it's easy to be, you know, the high road and, and kind of hold your head high after you just put a whooping on another team. But, like, yeah, I think it's been super entertaining. I mean, even uh, Dennis Schroeder, who we kind of talked about, like uh, – falling off the bandwagon of a little bit before the series, he's kind of redeemed himself. I mean, he has nothing defensively for John Wall, but like John Wall <laughs> will score on him and you just see Schroeder in his little like blonde streak fly down the court and he's going for the basket. I mean, he wants to score two points and he wants to give it back to Wall. So I think that's been interesting. I do think, you know, the Tim Hardaway, Kent Bazemore combination um, is kind of one of those things that's fun to watch against Bradley Beal because they're similar size. Uh, neither of them are, 
terrible defenders. But I, I, it's been interesting. I really do think that this series has kind of stood out, and we'll find out in game four if, uh, you know, Atlanta can tie it up and, and see what we have here. Yeah, so I, I got to challenge you a little bit on Marquise being the better Morris because even though I agree with all of your points, my man Marcus came to the game dressed as Marquise Morris with, like, his jersey on looking just like him, sitting courtside so they could, like, let's just say, like, Marquise, like, rolled his ankle, like, you know, at the end of the second quarter, all of a sudden they could just trot out Marcus. We started the third quarter. He was ready. He had the uniform on and, any, and everything. So, I mean, shout out to that commitment. That might, you know, that level of commitment and love for your brother, uh, I don't know. It, it, it makes it debatable. It makes it debatable for me. Uh, let's let's go to the other side, though, because – and this is, for me, I think, is a very hard question because even though we talked about the Cleveland sweep, and, and, but we talked about how, you know, it sort of had those entertaining moments to it, what do you think has been the most boring series thus far? Because I think that is that is an interesting question because every series sort of really has a storyline or something that's going on that – that gives it that edge. And I think that's why it's been such a good first round. You know, to me, it, I, people are going to hate this, but I kind of think it's been the, the Milwaukee Toronto, even given where it's landed. Really? Now with the, you know, I, I, I haven't thoroughly enjoyed the games the way I thought I was going to enjoy the games. I think I'm coming. I'm, I'm starting to realize that I don't really like to watch Toronto play basketball. Like I'm over them. I yeah. just, it's like this game, Kyle Lowry's going to be terrible. This game, DeMar DeRozan's going to be terrible. Then this game, I'm going to watch DeMar DeRozan make 60 terrible shots. Um, you know, Giannis has been phenomenal. But I, there's just something about it. I don't necessarily – I don't think I really love to watch either team. And not to say that the series isn't a good series. I mean, obviously, look where they are. I just – I've found myself looking at my phone a lot and watching Twitter a lot while I'm watching that game and, or those games. And, and so I guess that that's gotta be my boring one. It's kind of hard to choose. I mean, it, it, I I've been pretty impressed with the playoffs overall. So, you know, I, I, I guess I do understand your answer because especially last game was a very ugly, you know, they're saying that, you know, the, that's the way Toronto has to win. It sort of has to be more ugly and, and things like that. So it's not the most entertaining basketball to watch. Um, for me, I think Giannis sort of like just trumps all of that for me, just because watching him is just more entertaining for me than than watching a lot of these other series. I just like the fact that he's a young, you know, he's a young guy, and we we really didn't we felt like he's the best player in the series. But it's different when you're the most talented guy in the series, and all of a sudden you're expected to be the best player. You know, a lot of times, especially as guys are maturing and growing up, they don't really do that at first. They just have to get that playoff experience under their belt before. Because Toronto is an experienced playoff team. I mean, we're talking about a team, a core that has been in the playoffs for the last, what, four or five years, something like that? Maybe maybe a little less, but I think it's around four years. You know, Lowry and, and DeRozan were playing, you know, the Brooklyn Nets when Paul Pierce and KG were on there and stuff like that. So you're talking about a team that has just sort of, sort of something going for them with the home court advantage. And it's kind of hard for Giannis to be like, okay, I'm the best player in this series. And I think he has exerted his will thus far in that, even though he had a he had a tough game last last time out, but again, that's that's the, that's the growing, the, you know, the growth the growth spurt of a developing player. I'm actually going to say um, the Portland Golden State series has been the most boring to me, even though it's had the interesting storylines of like Kevin Durant out, Steve Kerr is out now for the rest of the series, but it's it's three zero now, so that that series is over. Um, I mean, you had the C.J. McCollum monster game one, I believe. He had like 30 at the half or something like that. Uh, 
But to me, like, the, the Blazers never really made it interesting. Like, I was never watching any of those games going, oh, you know what, they might steal this one, or, it, you know, they, they might make this series interesting. It, it sort of has just been, like, a, a entertaining basketball because they're going up and down, it's high scoring, and all that stuff. To me, it never really had that allure that a lot of these other series, almost all of these other series have had. Even, like, Memphis-San Antonio probably is not an enter- as entertaining a style of basketball, but... Memphis obviously has made it interesting, you know, holding home court, and all of a sudden now it has like this this sort of thrill-seeking thing that when you're watching the playoffs, you want to see the drama. And I don't really think that the Blazers and the Warriors ever had that drama. Well, I think your answer is the correct answer, but for some reason I've <laughs> I've enjoyed the games more. I mean, it's probably the star power, the players involved. Um, I, again, I really think it stems for me of really just disliking watching Toronto. And let me ask you another question. When did Toronto become a team who had to, like, muck it up to win? I figured it would be the Bucks who would have to muck it up to win, but Toronto is just, like, throwing wrenches everywhere. Right. And, and I, I, I agree. And I, I don't really – because that was always I, – I thought the same exact thing going into the series. You know, the Bucks were the team that got the defensive deflections. They're going to try and get out on the break. Their whole thing is their length and all that, and, you know, I thought that was the way that they were going to win the series, but it seems like, you know, the more free-flowing the game is, the better it is for for Milwaukee, and I think, even though Toronto won, I think they're in a, and I picked the Bucks. I'll admit it, I picked the Bucks before the series started, so I'm not going to say it's, it's like, unbiased, because I do want to see the Bucks win. I like being right. What, what am I going to say? But from what I've seen thus far, Milwaukee still, I think, is in control of this series just because I don't think Toronto has solved the defensive problems that Milwaukee is, is posing to them at all. Well, no, and Toronto still scares me. Again, I, I have Toronto winning this, but it was in seven. But I, it's weird. I mean, Lowry, Lowry's still Lowry, and I don't understand it. And, you know, DeRozan has these weird games too, and the the defense isn't the greatest. I mean, I feel like, that's weird to say with some of the scores, but it's because the, the game's been sloppy. I don't think that Toronto necessarily plays great defense. I just think weird stuff happens. There's like four possessions in a row where the ball's just flying to nobody at both ends. I mean, Kyle Lowry did some stuff the other night that I was like, what is this dude doing? Like, he's getting into the lane like he normally would. It's like Kyle Lowry gets drunk during the playoffs and then plays basketball, and I don't understand what's going on. But I, it, it's just it's been a weird series for me, and maybe it is the sloppy play that's that's kind of drawn my eyes away. But I tell you, every time I watch that series, I'm a little bored. And I thought that Memphis and San Antonio was going to be a little boring, but ever since these two games back at the Grindhouse where they do not lose to anybody from San Antonio whatsoever, they refuse to lose to the Spurs in Memphis. And, you know, Mike Connolly's game and Kawhi Leonard's game back in game four, those two combined just, like, made it impossible for me to hate that series. And I really thought I was starting to hate that series. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. I think Game Five is going to be sort of back to to the other side where you're like, oh yeah, this this series, okay, San Antonio's better team. <laughs> um, but but in in Memphis, those games were, were a lot better. You know, in in Memphis, it's like this is you know even even keel. You know, the the, the road, you know obviously the road team's trying to hold home court, and it just has a lot of exhilarating drama because they're a very prideful team. The Grizzlies probably more so than maybe any other team in the playoffs, to be honest. Um, it's just about you know, their home court and, and just, you know, they have veterans on their team that are, and, and they're facing a team that they have history with. So uh, I think the Grizzlies have more motivation to win at home than probably a lot of these other teams do. And I, I think it showed in the games, um, which I think game six and, is going to be very interesting, but, but I don't think game five is. Did you see uh, coach Fisdale's chick? I just got to, 
I, I, I did. know some people listening. I, I oh my! Shout out to what? Coach Yo, teach me. Yo, D- David Fisdale, take that for data. I'm just saying, just take that for data. Shout out to you. Um, so, going going back to Toronto a little bit, you know, it, it's sort of I think their their problems kind of they have these same problems. It seems like every postseason, right? Kyle Lowry's not fully healthy, so that's that's always an issue. And then, like, they always have to adjust for Jonas Valanciunas because there's some series he can play in and other series where he's just completely useless. So now he's not starting, and, they're you know, they're trying to adjust for him. In a sense, they kind of remind me a lot of the Clippers in, in that scenario, where it seems like they're a good regular season team, but when it gets to the playoffs, they have all these, all these issues. And then they're going to just trot out the same team next season. And it's like, this team can't win. Like, what, what you guys don't understand, you're playing for, like, you're doing the worst thing you can do in the NBA. Like you're playing to be like a mid-tier fringe contender, but not really a contender. You need like five things to happen for you in order to be like a contender. Yeah. They're like the, the Clippers of the East. That's actually a really good comparison. I've never even thought about, they probably don't catch the same kind of flack because they don't have, you know, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Uh, they do have the Rosen and Lowry, obviously, but not quite as polarizing. Yeah, that, that's fair, and I, I just don't know what it is. I mean, I I do get that teams sometimes do cruise through the regular season and, you know, then they falter in the playoffs, but it is odd, and, you know, a little bit of it might be their style, but I, I don't know. I just – they're like one of those teams where now I, I see them on TV, I kind of just roll my eyes. I'm like, uh, Toronto's here. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're talking about these East teams uh, – struggling i want to go back a little bit because we talked about john wall we you know i think washington has been one of the more impressive teams even though obviously game three wasn't the best for them what do you think are the wizards chances of winning the east because in round two they're going to be playing the winner of the celtics bull series which could very well be the bulls as, as we know um and if it's the celtics it's going to be a sort of a worn down celtics team that has shown weakness um so do you think they have any chance because you know obviously it's the the question is how well do they match up against the Cavs? Because uh, that's the team they're going to have to go through to win the East. Uh, so, what do you think about the Wizards' chances of winning the Eastern Conference? I think they're decent because I think they have the kind of team that can compete Cavs. If you really look at it on paper, and I think that this is our Eastern Conference matchup, barring anything crazy like an injury. I think it's Cleveland, uh, Washington. I don't think what I've seen from Boston right now, although they may get a lift if they come back from the the 0-2 deficit to beat the Bulls, which I do think they're going to do, but I I don't think that they're going to beat Washington. I think that Isaiah Thomas is going to struggle mightily against John Wall for an entire series. But I I do think they match up with the Cavs pretty well. I think, you know, Morris does enough, and I can't believe I'm singing Markeith Morris' praises right now, but I am, and it's going to continue to happen. I, I think he does enough. He's really going to bother Kevin Love, isn't he? Can you, I can see it already. Like, if he's bothering Millsap this much, he's going to annoy Kevin Love to no end. And I don't know that Kevin Love is – because he tends to be a little fragile mentally and physically. But I, I do I, – and I think that John Wall has enough speed and enough ability and size to hang with Kyrie Irving and give him a problem. Um, it, it's really going to come down to their guys like Otto Porter and uh, Kelly Oubre Jr., who uh, – are these guys going to do enough against LeBron James, which I know that's a tall task for anyone, but I, 
I think I'm I'm going to put them at like I think they have like a 40 percent chance to be able to beat the Cavaliers. Like I think it's that good. I, I think that they're you know are a 40 60 split is where I would put it. I think the Cavs would be in favor 60 percent right. of the way. But I, I I do I already you know I think it's there. I think that's the matchup we're going to get. And and I man I kind of hope Washington does win. Let's get Washington to the finals. Yeah, I really like this Washington team. I I tend to agree with you, and I think that the percentage is perfect. I think the the real thing that's working against them is the fact that Cleveland swept Indiana and that they're probably going to have a pretty easy time against Toronto or Milwaukee, I think. Um, I think they'll get through them reasonably well, so they'll be well-rested. But, you know, let's say that Milwaukee or Toronto, you know, brings them to six or seven games. You would think at some point LeBron led the league in minutes per game this season. You would think at some point, even though he's a robot, that it would sort of get to him, that he's going to be exhausted. And after a long series in the Eastern Conference Finals, I would think, because I think that series is going to be about LeBron. It, can LeBron James win that series? I think that, would be, that will be the storyline. Um, and I, I think he might be fatigued at some point. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, real quick, Andy, what is the, um, the second-round matchup that you're most looking forward to that you really hope that we get in the second round? Uh, the second round matchup that I really want to see, and it's probably going to happen, but I, I'm really interested in seeing the Spurs and the Rockets. Um, yes. You know, the star power is there. I think two opposite style kind of teams, and I'm just excited to see that. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. San Antonio, Houston, that's what I want to see. And uh, the Wizards, keep in mind. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. You can win the East. You can do it. That is the end of our show. We will be with you next week, continuing our journey across the NBA. Follow the podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast and like us on Facebook at Facebook slash NLP Pod. That's N like Nestle, L like Layla Ali, P like Paul Rudd. We will end, as we always do, with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar. Sometimes better to pass without looking. With that, we bid you good night.